dear ones. You're listening to the What God Is Not podcast with Father Michael O'Loughlin and Sister Natalia. Glory to Jesus Christ, ladies. Glory to him forever. He said ladies. Glory forever. (laughs) Um, Can our listeners tell which audience that we've had on before that is? Just by her Guess who? (laughs) Back by popular demand. Uh, Really? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> um, I demanded to be on this <laughs> by your own popular demand no I invited her um, The it's always interesting like when you say glory to Jesus Christ it's always interesting I never know what to do because this is this episode's coming out January 6th oh. and so it's coming out Christmas well theophany but Anyways, I never know which greeting to do. Like, because we recorded all of our episodes ahead of time, no one is going to hear the Christmas greeting. Let's just do both. Yeah. Christ, Christ is, born. is Glorify him. <laughs> 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 Sorry, I got really excited. Yeah, no worries. Um, so yeah, so if you're, you will be listening to this, but see, also some people are probably listening to this in the year two, they probably might be listening to this 200. in the year 20, 2034. <laughs> And so they could be listening to it any time. This is how recordings work. So we are recording this on the day before Christmas Eve, and this is coming out the first time after Christmas. Sister somehow knows the date. What, what is it, when is it coming? On Theophany? Yeah, January 6th. Oh, very cool. Happy Theophany, everyone listening to it on the date. Mm, and uh, so we shouldn't even say Christ is born then. Yeah. Christ is baptized. Christ is baptized is a later. I've heard more of a more American thing. Um, but yeah, so many of us in America, we switch to Christ is baptized and then you either say glorify him or in the Jordan. Um, I think I think most people, most American Byzantines say in the Jordan. But I had, a, I had a Ukrainian friend say that they say Christ is baptized, glorify him. And I had mm. another Ukrainian friend say they don't, they don't change it at all. They go back to glory to Jesus Christ. Or some people will keep up Christ is born all the way till February 2nd to get in the whole 40 days. So this is the this is the thing with our Byzantine churches. This is why we say Byzantine churches or Eastern Catholic churches, plural, um, because there's a lot of different traditions within these. And I know a lot of people get mad. I see it on social media all the time. People get mad and they'll say, that's not what we do. You're doing it wrong. And people are like, you know, we have different traditions, plural. And and for the little things that are cultural or historical or even political, you know, sometimes you're going to see these differences. And so don't get all worked up. <laughs> One thing I realized, I, I've I've been dealing with a lot of mask and vaccine and and COVID drama recently um, as a pastor, um, which is good. That, that's why I, I live for that kind of stuff. But what I realize is, is there's something to say for if this gets you anxious and, and, and makes you more prone to sin, then that's probably not the best way to think about it. You know, if, you, if you're raging on someone for not wearing a mask or raging on them for wearing a mask, which I've dealt with both this past week, like if you're raging on them, then you should probably adapt your behavior a little bit because Christ calls us to peace and to rest. Urgency, yes. Zeal, yes. But not, not anger that, that, can, that can become sinful way too easily. So sometimes, that sometimes very, peace. That was very soapboxy banter. Deep inner peace, exactly. Deep, <laughs> deep inner peace is, the, uh, is the, sometimes the tell or the, the sign of, of doing God's will in these things. And if you're constantly getting upset, I would even go as far as to say, if, if, you, are, if you are prone to road rage, um, you know, take an Uber 
spend the extra money, get an Uber. You know, if you hopefully you we we get strengthened so that we can we can you know not do that in the future. But sometimes these alternatives, we just kind of we get mad at the world around us rather than looking in at ourselves and saying, what could I change? What could I adapt to uh, help this situation? I like that. That could be a whole podcast. Yeah. Oh, I like your mug. There's Father Michael's soapbox. <laughs> oh. I just saw my face in your mug. <laughs> yeah, you're holding, holding a kiddo. Oh, that's cute. And then there's like two of you rolling your eyes right on top of each other. So this again, listeners, is the, the mug that Pauline Meert made for me and sister has not opened hers because she's obedient. Um, and look, look, there, there's two eye roll photos, one right on top of each other. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> it's actually one impressive the, that there's only two. <laughs> yeah, one of these days we'll have, a, we'll have a video podcast so you guys can see what we're doing here. But I did just yeah. send, I, I think, I don't know if you saw on the Slack, so I sent a picture of Mary of Egypt glaring at you. So we'll, we'll post that. that on Instagram soon. Mm-hmm. So you can at least see that aspect. I'm sure it's been posted by the time this comes out. Along with Maggie. Yeah, that's true. So look at our Instagram, hopefully our Facebook too. Yeah. Maybe even more in the future. So yes, okay. Well, let's, uh, if you don't mind, I'm just gonna jump right into the topic unless there's anything um, else from previous episodes or any shout outs you want to do, sister. Yeah, I have um, I have one shout out that I wanna give. Um, I wanna do give it. a shout out to a woman named Kathleen who um, she sent me more liquid IV, which is great because we go through it really quickly. So Mm. it's definitely not too much. Um, So more liquid IV. And she says, um, she sent it through Amazon with like, you know, one of the little papers that shows Mm. who it's from. And um, so for listeners who don't know, I have something called POTS, which stands for postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. So basically... Mm you change posture, like you stand up or even sometimes sit up or whatever, and your heart just beats too fast. And um, so anyway, so liquid IV is something that I drink to help with this because it just is really high in sodium. And so Kathleen sent some liquid IV as well as something else, like an alternative thing to use. And um, this is what the note says. Merry Christmas, Sister Natalia. Make Father Michael jealous that you got podcast fan goodies first. Whoa. (laughs) Also, my sister-in-law has pots as well, so I know the struggle is real in getting your sodium in. So, so thank you, nice. Kathleen. So yes, that's what I'm drinking I'm right now. Double success. Listeners? I know. I have really, we have really nice listeners. They send us nice things. I have a disease called N-M-S-A-T-T. <laughs> Needs more scotch all the time. <laughs> Okay. So someone so, get on that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's. I, it's I funny because I'm like, right now it's a fast, so I actually have a bit overabundance of of stuff that people have given me because I'm not drinking as much. So yeah. anyway, Christmas is now here. Theophany's now here for those of you listening. All right, can I jump Theophany, in now? Theophany, which for the Romans today it's um, the um, Epiphany, Epiphany, which is the Magi bringing the gifts or something, right? Yeah. Correct. And we in the Byzantine Church, we celebrate that on? Um, the s- Sunday after something. I don't know. Christmas Day. Well, it used to be all at once. I wasn't thinking about the fact that we oh. still do that. 
but we do. We do. It's kind of different because we celebrate the Nativity on Christmas Eve. Uh-huh. We celebrate the Magi on Christmas Day. You're right. So Whoa. you're, you're going to get two different readings. You're going to get. You're going to hear about the birth of Christ on Christmas Eve at the vigil, and you're going to hear about the Magi on Christmas Day. So mm-hmm. people don't usually they don't understand. They'll come only on Christmas Day to a Byzantine liturgy, and they'll mm-hmm. say. You know, why didn't I hear about the birth? Well, that was last night. There were actually two different sets of readings, but uh, the epistle is different as well. So and the idea Eve was Byzantines, that you come to both. Isn't Christmas Eve for Byzantines, that doesn't even, does that even fulfill your obligation? Yes. Oh. Yeah. I always went to both and I just never knew. Yeah. The, the, the idea is that you go to both. Just like on, on Pascha. Pascha has mm-hmm. two different readings as well for the vigil and then for the celebration itself. And that's why many of our parishes, including me, I've, I've said it just seems really odd to celebrate two liturgies on Pascha. You know, mm. you're always in the vigil. But if you don't, again, you're missing out on, on one of the readings. Because on, on Pascha evening, you celebrate the resurrection. On Pascha day, you're actually already kicking off the Gospel of John because the, the course reading of the Gospel of John begins on Pascha morning. So you hear, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God on Pascha. And so you, you, you don't even hear about the resurrection. You have to go to the vigil to hear about the resurrection. So some churches, therefore, will just do, will do the vigil. I think they'll do, I think this is a more, a more Russian tradition, but I actually like it. They'll do Vespers, Matins, Liturgy all in a row. And then, the, and then I think when they do that, they celebrate the resurrection and not John 1, if they mm. do that. But I could be wrong. I need to look up. I don't think Artipicon even offers that. Artipicon says you should have two liturgies. So mm-hmm. that's what I do, obviously, but... Yeah. But yes, yeah, so it's actually two different celebrations, Christmas Eve and a Christmas Day. Mm-hmm. How do we get into that? I forget. Because um, I said it's Epiphany for the Romans. Oh, okay, yes. So Epiphany, you celebrate the Magi on that day. We celebrate the, the baptism of Christ on that day on January 6th, and we celebrate the Magi, the Magi on December 25th on the day. So, all right, yeah. anything else, Sister or Natalia, or I will go into... I just, I just want to say, because... Um, I know at the beginning we often do reflections from the last podcast Mm -hmm. and I don't have any from the actual last podcast, which was the one I did about the saints. But, um, but I do want to share something just about all of the episodes that you've done on the liturgy, Mm -hmm. which I, I often feel, I mean, I just don't have much to contribute to them, which we've talked about on those liturgy episodes, but, um, but I do want to say that it's really tremendously impacted my experience of the liturgy. Um, like even just hearing all of these things, like the priest having the kiss of peace um, with Jesus, and the um, and then the the clinging of the um, the star and things like that, and on the discos. Um, so it's just been really beautiful. It really opens up the experience of divine liturgy to from something that you're just so accustomed to and kind of take for granted mm-hmm. into something that you're, you're seeing deeper and able to more deeply enter into. Yeah, amen. So thank you. Of course, I'm, I'm gonna keep on, I'm, I have one coming up actually right after the, shortly after I began here, another one that the people don't hear. And so I, I do like sharing those. Mm-hmm. Um, some priests actually might, might actually be against that because these are kind of the, if the people don't hear it in liturgy, why would they hear it on a podcast? So um, we, did have, we did have a question that pertains to this um, from yes. a listener, if I can bring it up. Sure. Um, it's, one of the listeners was wondering, I think, you, I think you touched on this on one of the earlier liturgy ones, but I'm not positive. But they were wondering... Um, why some parishes they go to, the priests will say some of these prayers out loud and other parishes they don't. And um, because she was wondering, 
I think she, I think she was wanting to know like which of those is better, you know. But it's not really. Yeah. It's it's like it's just different reasons. Um, but I was wondering if you could very briefly um, just restate sure. that. This is this is hotly debated, and I I don't want to go into all the politics of the debate, mm-hmm. um, but some of those prayers. Some of the prayers that you hear out loud in our Ruthenian parishes, and you will not hear out loud in most other parishes, most other Byzantine Catholic Church parishes, although I did hear that some Melkite parishes are now doing um, all what we call the priestly prayers out loud like we do, and even some Ukrainian parishes are now as well. So um, so the, you, it'll, you know, I think you'll, you'll really never know what you're going to get um, if you go to a church. But there are some prayers, um, what we're talking about here is there are long priestly prayers that the priest says at the end of a litany or even in various parts of the divine liturgy um, that the priest prays while the deacon is saying the, while the deacon is saying the litany or while the people are singing a prayer or a hymn, the priest is saying prayers to God, um, to himself quietly. He's just saying them very quietly. People don't generally hear that. And then he comes in at the end with what we call the doxology. So the people hear the very end of the prayer, which usually involves some sort of prayer to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, glory, doxology refers to glory. So we're glorifying the whole Trinity at the end of these prayers, but the people don't normally hear those prayers. Again, the priest prays them so quietly, the people don't hear. Now, most of those prayers are pretty explicitly prayed to God on behalf of those who are at the altar. So well, the, the, it, will, it will refer to us and by us, most of those prayers do not mean all the people gathered in the church. They usually mean just the priests at the altar because you'll hear references like for us and for the sins of the people. So the, the, in other words, they were, they've always been priestly prayers prayed by the priest, those around the altar um, for the people out there, but it's not actually a prayer of the people out there. So the people that argue they should be done silently are saying, why do the people need to hear prayers that, that the priest is praying um, as a priest and not necessarily um, praying, we're, we're not, when we say amen at the end, we're not, we're not saying we couldn't say those prayers because those are prayers are specifically for the celebrant or the concelebrants, the priest that, that is celebrating. Um, not every prayer is like that. There are some prayers that are general prayers. So the argument is, do the people, should they hear the prayers of the priest or should they just sing hymns over those prayers while the priest is praying silently? Um, others argue that, um, the Church Slavonic has has always been a dead language, so the people have never understood what the priest was saying anyway. So it didn't seem it didn't make any sense for the priest to pray a prayer out loud that the people didn't understand anyway. So the people would sing their hymns. They were they they were participating by singing prayers and hymns while the priest was praying a prayer that they didn't understand what it meant silently. And then the doxology at the end was just a a reference that then allowed them to come and sing Amen and then begin the next hymn. So it was some would argue that. That's why they were done silently. Others would argue they were done silently because they weren't for the people anyway. Mm-hmm. And so our bishops here in the U.S., I guess at least three of the four bishops have said that that they want those pr- prayers prayed out loud. And the form of the divine liturgy that we Ruthenian Byzantine Catholics use, at least three of the four eparchies, um, are are where we're mandated to do that by the bishop to pray them out loud, and that's what the new green books assume. And our well, if you're Byzantine, you know the green books, the the new pew books that came out in 2007. Um, so that that's the assumption because you'll hear um, the celebrant or a consulate prays aloud, and you'll see it there, and then concluding with, and then so in other words, you're not the book doesn't have the entire priestly prayer in it, but but you are going to hear that priestly prayer said out loud by out loud by the priest. So if you're not Byzantine, if you're in a 
been to Byzantine Divine Liturgy. This might be kind of confusing to you, and I apologize for that. Um, but in other words, so when you go to one Byzantine liturgy, you're going to hear more prayers said by the priest than at other Byzantine liturgies. All those prayers are always said, but at some Byzantine Divine Liturgies, they're prayed, prayed quietly by the priest while the people are singing. Other Divine Liturgies, we actually wait until the hymn is over, and then the priest prays them out loud. Um, so I'm not going to get into which one I think is right, and I, I think that it's we need to be obedient to our bishops in this and um, the the liturgists who decide. But that's kind of the the basic argument. Um, do the people should the people hear the priestly prayers out loud or not? And then I give you a little bit of the history of why that that is a debate. Thank you. That's helpful. Sure. And I, I understand. I'm not even I'm not even judgmental of one side or the other. Like I understand the merits of both. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I, I think it is, you know, when I when I look at it, it that whole debate made me focus more on: Am I speaking on behalf of the the priests, the concelebrants and celebrants, or am I be speaking be, on behalf of the people? And it's just it's just a way that I, as a priest, reengage with the liturgy and try to pay attention to what I'm saying, who I'm representing, who I'm talking to. All these mm-hmm. things that when you've been a priest for a long time, you tend to just say the words on the page. You kind of forget that you are actually talking to God, and and who are you talking on behalf of yourself? Sure all the priests, all the people, et cetera. And it's just, it's a, a way of, of, I think, making it more sincere and more authentic on, on behalf of the clergy. And the people can do this too. I think it's really important for people who are singing to understand who are you, who are you singing to? Mm-hmm. Are you singing to the rest of the people? Are you singing to Jesus, to the father, to the priest, to the deacon, whoever it is, you know, all of these things are actual prayers. So we need to make sure that we're actually making prayer the conversation that it is. All righty. Awesome. All right, so I finished last time with the Our Father and the For Thine is the Kingdom, the Power and the Glory, etc. So immediately following this, then the priest turns around and blesses the people again, peace be to all and to your spirit. And then the deacon, if there is one, says, bow your heads to the Lord. The people respond to you, O Lord. The priest, this is one of those instances where some parishes you're not going to hear this out loud, some parishes you are. So then the, the, the celebrant or good celebrant says, We give you thanks, O invisible king, for by your immeasurable power you have fashioned all things, and in the greatness of your mercy have brought all things out of non existence into being. Look down from heaven, O master, upon those who bow their heads to you, for they do not bow to flesh and blood, but to you, the awesome God. Therefore, O Master, make smooth for the good of all the path that lies ahead according to the need of each. Sail with those who sail, travel with those who travel, cure those who are sick, O physician of souls and bodies. Through the grace, the mercies, and the loving kindness of your only begotten Son with whom you are blessed, together with your all-holy, good, and life-creating Spirit, now and ever and forever. And the people respond, Amen. So remember, Amen is like an, an affirmation by the people of what the priest just said. So if the, for the parishes where that is done, done quietly by the priest, then you would hear out loud through the grace, the mercy, the loving kindness. You'd hear that part, the quote doxology. You would, you would get that, um, but you would not get that beginning part. Um, and remember, again, we are, we are in the part of the divine liturgy right now where we are preparing our hearts and we are preparing to receive the Eucharist. So this, I, I mentioned last time that there's two preparations. There's a preparation of us to receive and then there's also the preparation of the Eucharist to be received. And so mm-hmm. this is kind of the conclusion of the section of the liturgy where we are preparing ourselves to receive the Eucharist making sure that we are ready. Um, the two overflow, I'll get to that in a moment when I move on. Um, but there's a couple things in that paragraph that I love. Um, the, the reference to bringing us out of non-existence. I just think that's a good thing to remember sometimes that literally we did not exist. Nothing existed except God 
before he before creation. Of course, we all know that. It's just going to be reminded, I think, at this part of the liturgy. Um, we're bowing not to humans, but to God, who, which is where we expect the grace to come. Um, and then, so we're having, again, that line, therefore, O master make smooth for the good of all the path that lies ahead according to the need of each. So we're already looking forward to the graces of the Eucharist that we're gonna receive and that those graces being lived out in our real life for those who sail, those who travel, those who are sick, um, but also those, that, those groups might not be there because they're sailing, because they're traveling, because they're sick. So um, we, we always make sure that we also bring in uh, to our prayer and even to the community, to the, the mystical nature of the gathered community, those who cannot be here for, for any of those reasons. Um, yeah, and then we refer to the, uh, as always at the, end of, at the end of prayers, we make sure that we are, we realize and make sure that we, as part of the prayer, we are talking to all members of the Trinity, all those who, are, who have the, in substance, are, are God, that divine substance that is God. Mm-hmm. That's very clear in the liturgy of St. Basil too, um, about those who are absent. And then it's also one of the petitions at the end of Compline, right? Every night mm-hmm. um, uh, for those who are absent or sent away on business. Yeah, and it is, cause I mean, I spent this, I spent the past two weekends away from my parish because mm-hmm. a priest that had COVID and I was traveling um, to cover for them. So it was, it was one of those feelings where I'm doing divine liturgy in a different church at a different altar. And it just, it does feel weird. It's like, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I should not be here. So just as I know that there's liturgy going on in my parish and I'm not there. Um, so it is, it is nice. And I hope everybody feels that way if they are traveling, you know, they're a different church, but if they're traveling, if they're sick, mm-hmm. um, if for whatever reason, um, they are remembered, you know, in that liturgy and, and they are, they are prayed for, even if they cannot be there by no fault of their own. There are prayers in our Byzantine liturgy that, that they only pray for those who are, who are absent for honorable for reasons. reasons. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> those who are not absent for unhonorable reasons or dishonorable reasons or, or bad reason, you know, forget them, Lord, forget them. No, we, we of course pray for them to Just- in a different kidding. way. Yeah, in a different <laughs> way. We pray for the um, conversion of their heart or their intention rather than for those who, who uh, want to be there but can't for some reason. I guess this is what happens when a Byzantine parish gets a second priest because, whoa, a Byzantine parish has two priests. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly what happened. And I'm, try, I'm trying to remind them, yeah, the cathedral also has two priests. So, <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, when they find out that, that our church in LA got two priests, then all of a sudden like, hey. I, we are covering for a priest going on vacation and he's gone. He's missing for two Sundays in January. So we are going to alternate. So Father Nathan takes one while I'm home. He takes one while I'm home. Well, well, I take one while he's home just so we, we don't miss too long, too many Sundays in a row. Mm. Yes, yes. All right, and then uh, the, in in the priest book here we have the. Uh, Talka have something wanted to say. To something. say. <laughs> oh, sorry, <laughs> sorry, Talka. No, it's okay. I mean, I just think it's so cool that I'm jumping in on this uh, episode because that's one of my favorite parts in the Divine Liturgy. Actually, uh-huh. I love that line from non-existence into being, mm-hmm. and it just started jumping out at me during the liturgy because it's kind of like what you were saying with taking your prayers for granted as a priest. Mm-hmm. When I hear that line, I'm just like, wait a second, I exist. I mean, I take that mm-hmm. for granted Yes, that I, I literally didn't exist and God chose to create me. And I think that helps pull into the liturgy. So I like that that prayer said out loud. Um, and then I always thought it was funny how we prayed for like people who sail and people who fly. Like just it, it sounded so practical or so... It, it didn't sound like spiritual to me, and I, it always that always jumped out at me too. But it's cool. I think that's cool that we, we pray for that. Yeah, 
It is, especially when, I mean, I, I always think of various people in my life. So when we pray for those who, who travel by sea, air, and land earlier in the liturgy, I will always pray for my brother, Sean, who's a pilot. Whenever we pray okay. for those in the government, I pray for my brother who's a cop, you know, things like that. Um, all those who've served, served, you know, serve, have served and serve in this parish. Um, we pray for those. And I always think of like as many of the predecessors in the parish I can think of, you know, lay people and, and clergy, et cetera. So yeah. it just reminds me that God does care about these very, really small practical yeah, things. Yeah, exactly. You know? Good mm-hmm. point. Yeah. Every hair on our head, but you know, for, for, for every little aspect of our life, all the practical things as well, like you said. Every word lacking. Every hair on our beard. <laughs> every hair on our face. He does have hair. There are hairs there. Look, Lara, look, I'll go look yeah. to the side. Yeah, that's true. The gray ones are kind of shining in the, in the sparkling <laughs> glory of the light right now coming from my lamp. All right. So then uh, after this, then we, we kind of transfer in, you'll see in our Ruthenian books, you'll see that it's just called communion. So this is another transition point. The priest, um, so while the people at this point are saying the long amen, amen, and they're doing that, the long amen, because the priest has a prayer here that he needs to pray quietly while the people are saying that amen. And that priest is, excuse me, that prayer, that priest is me, but that prayer is... <laughs> Lord Jesus Christ, our God, hear us from your holy dwelling place and from the throne of the glory of your kingdom. As you are seated on high with the Father and yet dwell here invisibly among us, come to sanctify us. Gain to give us your most pure body and precious blood with your mighty hand and through us to all the people. So um, as he's praying this, again, the people have the long amen here. It's another reference, like in the very, very beginning of the Divine Liturgy, which I mentioned in the very first episode um, that we, of this uh, Byzantine Divine Liturgy part, where we are remembering that, that, that Jesus Christ, while he's here on earth, he is also in heaven with the Father. So he can be both places at once. Um, and so again, the priest says, la, 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 hear us from your holy dwelling place and from the throne of the glory of your kingdom as you are seated on high with the Father, yet dwell here invisibly among us. So um, he was, even when he was on earth, he was in both places. And now he's also in both places. So we, we know he's still in the, on high with the Father, but he's also here in the Eucharist, mm-hmm. but also in the tabernacle that is us as through the Holy Spirit, he dwells in our hearts. Um, does, that, yeah. does that prayer start with la la la? <laughs> <laughs> Did I say that? Yeah. Maybe it was a glitch or <laughs> I don't know. No, I think he funny. said it. <laughs> You were, you were like looking for it in the book and you're like, la, la, la. Okay. <laughs> I think it was just a space filler. Did the bishops approve that? <laughs> it's written in my book. Oh man, there must have been a kid that just wrote in my book. <laughs> All right. So then after this, uh, the priest is about, by the way, I know in the Roman Catholic mass, the priest holds the Eucharist um, while he's consecrating it. Um, we don't do that. We leave the bread and the wine on the in the chalice or in the disco, so we do not touch um, them. So we we we'll, we'll touch the the chalice and the disco, but we will not actually touch our Lord until this point. So this is the first time that that the priest touches our Lord. So um, so he says. Um, oh wait, oh go- this is very yes. relevant because I don't think we've ever mentioned that um, lay people. Like even I, as a nun, are not supposed to touch the chalice or the discos. Yeah, this is another tradition because most parishes they do. Um, 
So, so in other words, if 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 you, so this is another kind of parish to parish tradition. Sorry, um, I didn't know that. <laughs> it's okay. No, no, no worries at all. That's the way. I'm, so, you 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 probably see in your parish that that lay people will just you know sacristans and and people will 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 pick up the chalice of discos to set it up or to take it away. Um, but in Denver, and and now we're moving it here in LA. I don't I didn't want to change a lot for the first year I was here, but um, we're making it so that you don't usually. One of the ancient traditions was um, that you didn't touch the chalice of the discos with your bare hands. You didn't touch anything that touched the Eucharist with your bare hands until you were at least ordained a subdeacon because a subdeacon is is kind of a, a sacristan. So their their hands were 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 ordained. They were ordained to. Um, be able to touch the sacred vessels, anything that touches the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so uh, that's that's one tradition. But yes, so the priest has obviously done this before because he's lifted them up. Um, we offer to you your own from your own, always and everywhere. So he's touched them, but he has not actually touched the Eucharist. By the way, some would say, and some have said in my parish in Denver, then why do we kiss the chalice? Because many people will, after they receive the Eucharist, will kiss the base of the chalice. Um, you know, or we'll put the chalice on their head and some traditions as well to give them a blessing. So um, I think th- those moments in a sense do need to be distinguished from moments of veneration or moments of blessings from the more practical, mm-hmm. just moving the, the implements around, moving the sacred vessels around. So, But I think most parishes do allow sacristans to do that. I just think it's, a, it's an extra special sign of, of mm-hmm. reverence for the Eucharist and a, a, a little bit of an encouragement towards ordination. You know, if you if you're the sacristan, um, you know, and and you're you're finding great honor and dignity in being able to to move the sacred vessels around and to remember who these are vessels that have touched our Lord. Um, then yeah, you know, discern. There's also another distinction I think for me in either kissing the chalice or being blessed on the head with the chalice um, is that when you kiss the chalice, first of all, you've already received the Eucharist. Um, typically the person right. receives Eucharist and then kisses the chalice if Very they're good point. to kiss the chalice. Very so at point. that point, like the body and blood of Christ is within them. Um, mm-hmm. And the the other thing though, even in, if it's um, the either the blessing um, or or the kissing with the lips, there's something there that just like brings to mind for me. I'm, I'm not saying this is the reason for it. I just like in a, for me personally, it brings to mind um, Isaiah and the um, the angel touching his lips with the mm-hmm. burning coal and burning away any iniquity. Um, and that's that's coming up too because that's in the liturgy as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 that's about to come up in mm-hmm. like after. Yeah, after communion. After right? after they receive yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, I just like that's that's an image that comes to mind in those mm. things, like yeah. in kissing the chalice and in being blessed by it. It's a yeah. Yeah, because if when when again, not I grew up with this, but not every church. I think it's actually rare again, but most Byzantine Catholic churches that I've experienced did, did, will not put the chalice like on the person's head for the blessing. Mm. They'll like either just bless them with it, or I know many Orthodox churches are totally confused by that, and they they've just never heard of that. And you just don't come up if you're not going to receive. You mm-hmm. just, you just stay in the pew. Um, so again, the, the various traditions. Um, so no angry emails that you know we don't do that and you know or the and don't get mad at your priest that's even more so don't get right. mad at your priest because yeah. he doesn't do these things you know there there are various traditions um, that uh, that come from the the various Byzantine churches. 
All right, so then the priest, again, before he touches the Eucharist for the first time, he says, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And he bows three times. You'll see, you'll see the priest do this bow three times and, and hear him, he says it quietly, but you'll hear him say, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He usually does that before um, anything that is, is, really, is really an intense moment, like touching the Eucharist for the first time, even like before touching the prosphora for the first time, things like that. There, there's, a, there's this ritual of this threefold, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner, along with a metony, a, a bow, you know, usually a deep bow. And then uh, and as an acknowledgement that I am about to, to do what a sinner should not do, and, uh, namely touch something that is holy and sacred, especially the Eucharist. Um, and I, so I acknowledge that with this, with this act of threefold act of penance. Um, I'm, not, I'm not worthy, but you're making me worthy. Um, just a clarification for listeners who haven't heard the first couple episodes we did on the liturgy, the prosphora is the, the bread, the communion bread that's baked that will become the body of yes. Christ. Yes, thank you, thank you. Yes, it's just the the one or five loaves of bread, however your your priest does it, um, that are presented to the church usually by a parishioner, and then that's what is prepared beforehand, and then and then consecrated into our Lord. All right, um, and then the uh, the priest uh, takes picks up the the lamb. So now we have. Um, it's now it is our Lord, of course, and so the that 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 centerpiece is is called the lamb, or sometimes it's called the coal. There's just different things you call it, and the the coal refers to what Sister was just talking about earlier about the prophet. Um, and I'll I'll get to that in a moment. Um, but then the priest just elevates it slightly, and says, "Holy gifts to holy people." Um, um, and then the people respond, one is holy, one is Lord, Jesus Christ, to the glory of God the Father, amen. I've also heard different um, interpretations of what this means, uh, what the intention of that phrase, holy gifts to holy people, but but basically you can almost always assume it has something to do with awe, or at least the response has something to do with awe, because we've talked many times about our Byzantine liturgy being about awe. So um, basically, as as hard as it is to hear, the more, the more authentic meaning of that is probably saying, you can only receive if you're worthy. In other words, if you've been to confession, you've have prepared your heart. So holy gifts to holy people means these are holy gifts. So anybody who's not holy should not receive, um, which of course is good and beautiful and makes sense. Um, and then the people respond, one is holy, one is Lord Jesus Christ to the glory of God the Father, amen. So in other words, even they're, they're standing with awe and humility saying, even those of us that you're now calling holy, those of us who, who are gonna dare to come up and receive because holy gifts are for holy people, even we are gonna stand humbly before this reality and say there's only one is holy. So in other words, you're calling us holy and because and Christ is calling us holy because Christ makes us holy. Um, but there is, we're still understanding, it's almost like in Matthew, call no man father, you know. Um, the reason why Jesus says that is because nobody, no man should be put in the place of God the Father. And, it's, and, and but of course we call priests and monks father, you know. Um, we call our biological fathers father, you know. So they, they are, they're in a sense participating in the fatherhood of God the Father. But if they ever try to trump God the Father, then they're in the wrong. And that's why we should know call no, 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 call no man father, teacher, rabbi, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is, this is more of a, um, the, we're about to invite up those who have been made holy by Christ, who have repented of their sins, who are in a sense worthy of receiving by the grace of Christ. And that yet there's still this humility that the people cry out when the priest says, holy gift to holy people, the people cry out, one is holy, one is Lord Jesus Christ. 
All right. And then the the priest continues to at this part of the divine liturgy, this is the preparation of the gifts. So we are we are in one sense continuing, but also in one sense concluding, although we'll get back to that in a moment, the preparation of ourselves to receive. And now the priest is is he's lifted it up and now he's going to break it. And he's going to to either with a, a little spear, the spear which with he which with he with with which Thank you. <laughs> With which he pierced the side of the prosphora during the the um, proscomedia rites, that same spear or a separate one. He will then take and cut up this this lamb, this big piece of the Holy Eucharist in the center, um, and in order that people can receive it. So this is the preparation of the Eucharist itself. Um, and then we talked about in the preparation rite, uh, where there's this Jesus Christus Nika, this you know iota sigma chi sigma, um, and then so and then um, so I'll just do it, like Jesus Christus. So you have you break it up into four pieces with the Jesus on one particle, the Christ on the other particle, and you put the the priest breaks it up and then he puts the 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 IC using Latin letters IC particle on the top. He puts the XC particle on the bottom. He puts the NI particle on the left and the KA particle on the right. Hmm. Um, when he when he separates these up, it's because the IC particle, the iota sigma particle, which is just Jesus, will go into the chalice. And I'll describe that in a moment. The, the, the Christ particle on the bottom is what the clergy receive. And then the NI and the KA particles, the Nika, conquer particles, those are what the ones given to the people. And then, so therefore, the commemorative particles, if it's done right, the commemorative particles don't go, they, don't, they aren't received as the Eucharist. They just go into mm-hmm. the chalice and are consumed afterwards. But so, so just the main lamb is really all that's supposed to be consumed by the, by the priest and the people. Um, so he breaks them up. And as he says that, he says something again quietly that people don't generally receive. Broken and distributed is the lamb of God. Broken yet not divided ever eaten yet never consumed, but sanctifying those who partake thereof. So that's just a beautiful phrase that the people don't hear. Broken and distributed is the Lamb of God because here the priest is breaking it. Broken and distributed is the Lamb of God. Broken yet not divided, a very important distinction. Mm-hmm. Ever eaten yet never consumed. So here's those paradoxes. We have more paradoxes here. Broken yet not divided. You can't really break anything in the world practically without it being divided. You break something, it, it, it by, by definition is now divided. It's, it's no longer whole except the Eucharist. Here we are breaking this lamb, breaking this, this um, loaf of bread that has become the body of Christ. We're breaking it but, it, but he is not being divided. He is fully present in each of those particles. And that's really, really important. He is completely present in each of those particles. So broken yet not divided. And then ever eaten yet never consumed. In other words, people in all times and all places will receive it, will, will consume it by one definition, but never exhausted. So we're, in other words, you, when you, anything else in the world that, that, is, that is constantly and consistently received or eaten is eventually gonna be gone, right? That's how it works. It's eventually gone, but not with the Eucharist. There, every single divine liturgy and every single particle of the Eucharist is the fullness of, of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Hmm. That's beautiful. I have a story about that that I'll tell at the end of this time or at the beginning of the next podcast. But I okay. wrote it down so I don't forget. Oh, nice. You, you can tell it now. Are we running short on time? No, we but probably I... probably are. Okay. I mean, I I will mean let, we probably I will have like 20 let, more minutes. I will use your discretion, sister. So go ahead. That works. And then, so then the priest takes the, the Jesus... 
um, particle, the Jesus particle. And the, the deacon then says, you have a deacon, Reverend Father, fill the holy chalice. And the, the priest takes that upper particle and he says the fullness of the Holy Spirit and he drops it into the chalice. Um, this is, you, you've seen this, the, those many, the many Roman Catholic listeners that we have, probably the majority of our listeners are actually Roman Catholic, I've realized, but, um, but they, you, you've seen in the, in the Roman Catholic um, fracturing of the host and the, the priest then takes a little tiny piece and drops it in the chalice. This is to symbolize, again, we are receiving the body and blood of the living God. So when, when Jesus's body and blood were separated, namely by the spear, by the soldier on the cross, when his body and blood were separated, that was a sign that he was dead. That's how the soldier knew he was dead. So when we put the body and the blood back together, we, we, it is a sign and a symbol and, and, and is truly true that this is the body and blood of the living God. We're not receiving the body and blood of, of a dead Christ, but rather the living Christ, the resurrected Christ, the Christ that is in heaven with the father, even while he's here. Um, and that's, that's why, as I've said before, I'm sure on this podcast that, you know, there, there's, it still happens. I still see it on social media. People accuse us of being cannibals. You know, well, Catholics are cannibals. Orthodox are cannibals because they 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 are receiving, they're eating the body of, of a dead person. It's like, nope, we're it's worse, worse, worse. <laughs> we're receiving the body of a living person. You know, <laughs> we're worse than cannibals. So there's this. So that now the when it, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the priest puts it into the chalice. This is again a sign, a symbol, and a, and a to remind us that in reality. Um, this is the the body and blood of the living, resurrected God who who exists in us, in the world, in heaven, um, and the the fullness of the Holy Spirit is what allows this to happen. And then the deacon says, "Father, bless the hot water," and he brings boiling hot water over to the priest. The priest then says, "Blessed be the fervor of your holy ones, always, now, and ever, and forever." As he blesses the hot water with his hand. And then the deacon pours a little bit of that into the chalice in the shape of a cross. And the deacon says, the fervor of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, amen. Is that my echoing? There's the voice like that. Yeah, are you hearing an echo? I'm hearing other voices. I think it's just my echo. Anyway, um, so the, the hot water has various historical meanings. Um, some people will say, um, and again, I, I don't know, because I've heard this from many, multiple people on multiple occasions. Some people will say that the, one of the origins of the hot water was that um, the divine liturgy would be celebrated up in Siberia and literally the wine would freeze or the top of the wine would freeze. Um, so in order to... to um, you know, distribute it, you needed to, to pour hot water in. I don't think that's the most authentic reason. Um, another reason I hear is that they would put in resin as a preservative. And so you actually, uh, over time, the resin would, would rise to the top and like a, there was a waxy substance in this resin preservative. And then that's why one of the gospels says Christ took and mixed it. So mm-hmm. um, the, the mixing would be, um, people would then before drinking wine, they would pour hot water into it to kind of break up that resin because it was just mm-hmm. easier to drink. Um, so that's one of the historical reasons why the priest might pour hot water in. But the spiritual reason um, is uh, what, what the deacon says here. Uh, Blessed is the fervor of your holy ones, now, always, now, and ever, and forever. Amen. The fervor of faith, full of the Holy Spirit. So the holy ones are the, are the people, and the faith is the faith of the people. Fervor is now uh, the root and the, um, 
it refers to heat. That something is is alive if it's hot, right? If if you have a cold body, it's dead. If you have a hot body, it's warm. So there, there's a fervor, there's a life that is symbolized by warmth. So this warmth is added to the chalice, and the warmth is the faith of the people. It's the faith of the priest, but especially the faith of the people, the faith of the faithful ones. So in other words, the, the faith is what makes, in one very real sense, ma- makes the Eucharist a living thing. So Christ is living, but our ability to receive it, we couldn't receive the Eucharist without the faith of the people. We need it, we need it, we need humans. God God doesn't, in other words, when we have Eucharist is is consecrated bread and wine, so the bread doesn't just grow from the earth. Bread grows as wheat. And then so God provides the wheat. Then man has to take it, grind it up and turn it into bread. And the wine, wine doesn't just grow in pools in the, in the earth, right? It needs to, it, it's grapes that needs to be taken, processed, fermented by men. And then Christ takes what men have worked on, namely bread and wine and makes, and he does the real work to make it his body and blood. Um, but even for that aspect of the work, so for it to become bread and wine at the beginning, but then for it to become the body and blood of Christ, you still need priests and you still need the congregation. This is why in our Byzantine church, and um, you, and again, I know various Byzantine priests will do this, but but um, but most will not. And I don't, I really, I think I'll say this. You really shouldn't in the East pray divine liturgy alone. Mm-hmm. You know, a priest should, where two or three are gathered in my name. Um, it's it's not, again, if, if priests are missionaries and, and they need that, that sustenance, that spiritual sustenance of the Eucharist to do their missionary work, then amen. But in a parish setting, you really shouldn't celebrate divine liturgy on your own, like like is so common in the West, um, because um, you the people have to be there, the faith of the priest with the faith of the people. So we couldn't even have the Eucharist without faith. And so this is saying the faith of the priest and the faith of the people invigorates and and, and allows the Eucharist to be a, a living and effective sustenance for the church and for the people of God. Um, so the fervor of your holy ones, the fervor of faith, a full of the Holy Spirit. So of course we don't do this on our own either. So pretty much we're going back and forth here. Right, God needs us. We need God, and 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 for, for to have the Eucharist, both we have to have faith. We need to have faith for there to be the Eucharist for us. But also, we we need God to have faith. The faith comes from the Holy Spirit. Faith is a gift from God, from the Holy Spirit. So there's this interworking, this symbiotic relationship between God and the people to have the celebration of the sacraments, especially the Eucharist. We need both, and and we cannot we cannot remove the faith of the people, or of course God's blessing, or we will not have the Eucharist, we will not have the sacraments. It's very cool when um, there have been just a few occasions that I, when I was one of the first to receive communion for the day, mm-hmm. um, that it's still warm when you receive it. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's just very, very cool to, no pun, no, that's, <laughs> it's not cool, it's warm. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's beautiful to receive the, the Eucharist warm um, for that very reason. Like it, it feels um, you have more of the human experience of mm-hmm. this is living body and living blood. Um, yep, and- dead blood is cold, living blood is warm. And mm-hmm. so when you receive the Eucharist, you're, you're, you're feeling the warmth of the, the, the warm, precious blood of our Lord on your tongue. It's just another sacramental, another, another physical sign and symbol to, to remind us and to help us understand what it is that we're receiving. Mm-hmm. The the other the other point I would make though I've always thought oh I don't know if I made this up I feel like I heard it at one point <laughs> um, <laughs> so we might need to edit it out but I've I've also always thought you know how you were you were talking about the the body and the blood being recombined because this is the living resurrected body um, mm-hmm. it's it's not 
the and it was at the moment of the blood and the the blood and the body separating was at the moment of his death on the cross. Well, the um, moment of the realization of his death, yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Good point. Um, but but it wasn't just the blood that came out. It was the blood and the water that mm. flowed from his side. So I've also always thought of the the teplata, the the hot water being mm-hmm. added, um, the theological aspect of now the the body, blood, and water are recombined. Yeah. Um, the, the priest does in the post comedia rite does add water then as well. Mm. Um, so what, 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 what it's already, it's already wine and water in the chalice that became the body of Christ. Um, mm. but this, in a sense, you are adding more water. So I, I think, I mean, that works, that works, but yeah, it's that there was water in there already, um, from okay. the preparation rites before it was consecrated. All right. Um, and then a, a quick note, um, the uh, at this point, the Eucharist, just the precious body of our Lord, is put in the hands of the clergy. Um, so uh, the, the the clergy have come around. Now there is a tradition where you are always everybody except the highest ranking clergyman is supposed to receive the body from somebody else. So when you have one bishop and a bunch of priests, the priests receive it in, in, from the bishop. So in the Roman tradition, you'll see a lot of times that if you're a priest, you actually pick up the Eucharist out of the ciborium and put it in your hand and wait to receive it. In the East, you mean, if you, you have- You mean if you're a concelebrating priest, not the main celebrant? Correct. Yes, if you're a celebrating priest in the West, you 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 will actually like usually a priest or a deacon will walk around and you will actually take the Eucharist out of the ciborium. Um, in the Byzantine Church, um, we just have this this added symbol of making sure that we have this again a sign of, of it being received. We don't we don't grasp. We don't want to be like Adam and Eve grasping the fruit from the tree. Not that the Roman Church says that at all. Of course, I'm, I'm not I'm not criticizing. It's just totally different tradition, and the Roman Church does is not at a loss for this. Um, but but I, there is there in the Byzantine Church, we just emphasize this that if the highest ranking person has to take it because it's practical, everybody else receives from somebody. That's why the deacon will receive from the priest and priests will receive from the bishop. Um, uh, and so the, the bishop will actually put, uh, again, the Eucharist in the priest's hand at this point. And then, uh, but if, there, if there's just a deacon, the deacon will come to the priest and say, Reverend Father, give me the precious and holy body of our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ. The celebrant will respond, the precious, holy, most pure body of our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ is given to the deacon, then they will say their name, for the remission of his sins and for life everlasting, amen. And then the, the deacon or the priest just hold now the Eucharist in their hand, the precious body of our Lord in their hand. Um, and then the priest says himself, because again, he's at this point, he's the highest ranking, so he cannot receive from anybody else. He says, the precious, most holy body of our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ is given to me, the priest Michael, for the remission of my sins and for life everlasting. Amen. Quick reference. Um, this is for the remission of sins because God and sin cannot be in the same place. So in other words, um, as we've said before, the, the Eucharist is always for the remission of sins. You may say for, for non-deadly sins, for venial sins, if you will, um, because of course, when we sin deadly, I talked about this last time a little bit too, but when, when we have deadly sin, it pushes the ability to receive and to grow in union with Christ because we've in a sense rejected our baptism. Our baptism is what allows us to receive the grace of the death and resurrection of Christ. So we've rejected our baptism when we commit deadly sin. Um, so, but when we receive the Eucharist, 
Christ, we, we have now welcomed Christ into us. And so sin cannot exist there. So that's why we say, you know, that we receive, we receive this for the remission of sins. It's not confession. And you should still bring these things to confession because we're human and it's important to speak them and to hear you are forgiven. But that's why we, that's why that's one of the prayers for the remission of sins and for life everlasting. This is, this is food for eternal life. This is food that, that, that sustains us into eternal life. All right. And then, uh, and then after that, then the priest and the, the clergy are now holding the Eucharist in their hand and we all pray together the prayer before communion. So I'm just gonna say that real quick because we have so many Roman Catholic listeners just so you've, you hear it. I know that our Byzantine listeners have, have said this a million times, but it is a very beautiful prayer. O Lord, I believe and profess that you are truly Christ, the son of the living God who came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the first. Accept me today as a partaker of your mystical supper, O son of God, for I will not reveal your mystery to your enemies, nor will I give you a kiss as did Judas, but like the thief, I profess you. Remember me, O Lord, when you come in your kingdom. Remember me, O master, when you come in your kingdom. Remember me, O holy one, when you come in your kingdom. May the partaking of your holy mysteries, O Lord, be not for my judgment or condemnation, but for the healing of soul and body. O Lord, I also believe and profess that this which I'm about to receive is truly your most precious body and your life-giving blood, which I pray make me worthy to receive for the remission of all my sins and for life everlasting. Amen. O God, be merciful to me, a sinner. O God, cleanse me of my sins and have mercy on me. O Lord, forgive me for I have sinned without number. Um, I will, I just want to put the, the clarification out there too for people who, this is another one of those, like we have different churches and different traditions and all of that, that um, some of the other churches besides the Ruthenian might not have the same exact translation of this prayer. Like I, I know that um, I've been to, to churches that don't have like the second half. I think that maybe there was a, maybe later editions or something like that. So anyways, there might be parts of that, that it's not like the church accidentally left it out or something like that. It's just, um, you might hear different translations, so. This is actually, this is added to all liturgies quite late. I think it's one of the latest thing added to our Byzantine divine liturgies, this prayer mm-hmm. at all. That's why it's not sung. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it spoken because it was, it was Adelaide. That's at least what I've heard. Um, and then yes, uh, then, there was even a later edition that was the, oh Lord, I believe and profess that which I'm about mm-hmm. to receive is truly. So that part was added even later than the other one. Um, and usually these things are added for practical reasons. Um, so you can, it's almost like a, a statement of orthodoxy, a statement of right belief. Um, so if there's a question about it being truly the bread, the, the body and blood of Christ, then they insert that into the, the divine liturgy to make sure that people know and then people acknowledge this or they're not orthodox or they're not true believing. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not truly Catholic. If, if they don't acknowledge that. So these things are added sometimes just like the creed, like the Holy Spirit and the creed at, at um, Constantinople, et cetera. These things are added for practical reasons. So yes, um, good point, but um, that's why some churches may not is because they didn't, they just don't have that same tradition of, of the, the a bit later additions to the divine liturgy. Yeah. And I'm going to finish with this. I'm, I'm just sorry. And I'll tell you real quick. I'm 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 gonna we're gonna go ahead and have to do another session after this because we're we're going long. So, but because I, I do want to talk about this prayer a little bit um, and some of my own thoughts on it. So, sorry. We'll have we'll, at least one more episode of the Divine Liturgy after this one. But that's okay. Go ahead, Natalia. <laughs> I just had a quick question on that prayer when it's saying, uh, "Nor will I reveal your mysteries to your enemies, nor give you a kiss as did Judas." Mm-hmm. Do you know off the top of your head what's behind that part? Yes, so uh, the reveal your mystery to your enemies, good question. Um, that is is the, 
the tradition of understanding that most of what we believe, a lot of what we believe is, is super rational. It's beyond reason. It's transcendent. And so um, there are things like this is, this is the body and blood of Christ and people are looking at what looks like bread and wine that, mm-hmm. that, uh, that, that would just be, the people would roll their eyes and they go, I know it's not. Like I literally see it's bread and wine. And so um, you, you have to have the grace of baptism in order to understand that. Uh, and you have to have the grace of baptism to have that faith. You can have the beginnings of that faith without being baptized. The Holy Spirit can give that to you in another way to lead you to baptism. But, but our enemies here are, are, are those who, who do not have that faith. So do not understand this what it is. So when we hear mysteries here, mysteries refers to multiple things, but it especially refers to the holy mysteries, the seven sacraments. Um, it also refers to the other mysteries of the church, the things that are, are, are hidden yet revealed, if you will, the other sacramentals. Um, that, that, in other words, if, if, I, if I walk up to somebody, and this is one thing I don't think we're very good at in the church today because we feel like we're, we're leaving people out if we, if we don't kind of share everything with them. But if I, if I walk up and I say, if I bring someone on the altar and I say, hey, look, Jesus' body and blood. And if I say that to an unbaptized person or someone who's like, um, you know, doesn't like the church, someone who's looking for reasons to hate the church or to persecute the church, you know, that, that, that's gonna, it's gonna make us look even worse because they're using their, excuse me, they're using their five senses and they're just gonna say these people are crazy. Hmm. They're crazy, you know. So there, there are certain things that we need to be discerning and loving in what we share. And to say, and there's nothing wrong, I believe, again, this, this needs to be done well, but there's nothing wrong with saying, telling someone, you know, there's certain things about our faith that I'm not hiding from you because I'm hiding something. When nothing is hidden because we're hiding something, everything is brought to light. Christ is light. So there's nothing I'm hiding from you because I don't want you to know it or because we're some secret society or a cult. There's things that I'm just, that, that we, we need to build up to understanding, you know? And so I'm gonna lay the foundation for you, but there's certain things I do not expect you to understand unless you've received the gift of faith and the blessing of the church of baptism in that thing. So when we hear mysteries here, it's, it's, it's generally those things. It's the things of God that, that, are, that take the gift of faith and baptism in order to understand and, and would just would actually push people further away from the church if they tried to understand it now. It's, it's kind of like modesty, right? Modesty in, in any way is revealing too much too soon so that the person does not understand the fullness of what they're receiving. Um, and I'm not just talking about physical modesty or any type of modesty. Immodesty is sharing too much. Immodesty is going on your first date and just sharing, oh man, I've been on I've been to confession 12 times and here's generally my sins. I want you to see the very, I want you to see the, the heart of me and including all my sins. Like that would push someone away on the first date. You know, you need to be discerning and there's a time and the place for that extreme vulnerability. And so the same thing happens in the church. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I like that a lot. I love that. Okay. Thank you. All right. So, um, yes. So then there's this acknowledgement also um, I, Lord, I believe and profess that you are truly Christ, the Son of the living God, who came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the first. That is a quote from Paul. I am looking it up. It is from 1 Timothy 1.15. Um, so he is, he is talking to Timothy, obviously a bishop, and he's, and he, he is saying that, that he is the greatest among sinners. Um, continuing on, anything else? Ladies, let me know if there's anything that sticks out at you as well. Um, like you said, Natalia, 
I will not reveal your mystery to your enemies. I will not give you a kiss as did Judas. In other words, I will not be, I will not be uh, insincere. You know, I will not actually abuse my intimacy with you. And you know that, that, that there's such an intimacy in the Eucharist. There's such a God is, is vulnerable. Um, there's a, an extreme intimacy there. We are receiving Him in in a way that is is like is like marriage. I mean, it, it's a bonding. The two become one when we receive the Eucharist. And 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 I will not give you a kiss to the Jews. I will not. I will not abuse my intimacy with you. And and that that especially happens in this Eucharist. I will, which of course we all do because we're all sinners. Um, I will, I will not give you a kiss to Judas. I will, I will not be a betrayer or betray your vulnerability, your gift to me. Um, remember me, O Lord, when you come in your kingdom. What is that from? I think we the all- The good thief. The good thief, exactly. So I, I love that we're quoting the good thief um, mm. here. And then, then we actually say later on, uh, or did we say it already? There we go. But, but like the thief, I profess you. So we're imitating the thief here. Um, remember me, O Lord, when you come in your kingdom. Remember me, O Master, when you come in your kingdom. Remember me, O Holy One, when you come in your kingdom. Um, may the partaking of your holy mysteries, O Lord, be not for my judgment or condemnation, but for the healing of soul and body. Um, again, this is, we can receive them for judgment or condemnation. The scriptures tell us this. We can mm-hmm. receive the body of Christ unworthy. We need to discern the body, as St. Paul says. And I think I've mentioned this before, but this refers both to, we have to believe that it is the body and blood of Christ. You know, this is why we, we don't give it to just any Christians, you know. Um, I've, I've been to Christian evangelical churches that say you can receive as long as you believe that Jesus is Lord. You know, they don't say anything about the Eucharist itself, you know, but we're saying, no, you need to believe that this is what we believe is the truth, that it is the body and blood of Christ. But also the judgment or condemnation of the scriptures. Um, let me find that 184. So this is gonna be First um, Corinthians eleven thirty four is where where Saint Paul actually says, you know, you must discern the body of Christ for the judge, so it's not judgment or condemnation. And what he's probably talking about primarily is is the fact that the um, the Eucharistic meals were just meals. I mean, these were the gatherings of the whole community for a Eucharist, but it was generally just you ate you ate the consecrated bread like it was bread. You you drank the consecrated wine like it was wine. You know, um, we we've kind of adapted to the grace of the Holy Spirit over time. But what happened is the rich. Who, who didn't have to work in the fields would come early and the rich would just eat this Eucharistic meal. And oftentimes they'd get drunk, you know, literally get drunk on our Lord. And and the poor would come in after dark when the, once they left the fields and this was supposed to be community. We're supposed to be bonding time. We're supposed to be all equals here. No rich, no poor, no slave, no Greek, you know, no, no, no master, no um, slave, you know, Greek or, or, or Jew, et cetera. Like all the man, woman, all these are together in the Eucharist because they're all together in Christ where there is no separation. But the rich would be, would be very separate. Like if you're rich, you receive now. If you're poor, you receive later. If you're poor, you come in and the people you're supposed to be having communion with are already drunk, you know, so there's this there's this discerning of the body. The body of Christ is not only the Eucharistic body of Christ, but it's also the the gathered community. Um, I think a lot of times in the '60s and '70s, people overemphasized the gathered community over the fact that it was the Eucharist is the body and blood of Christ. So we need to find that medium to understand that the Eucharist is the body of Christ, but so is the gathered community, and both of those things need to be quote discerned, or we're going to eat and drink condemnation on ourselves. I like again that I talked about this in one of the former liturgy podcasts, but I like that the Thanksgiving prayers after communion that we have on page 95 of the green book, um, the prayers, there's one by St. Basil and then there's a bunch of other ones, but they are thanking God for allowing us the grace to have all of the things that we're asking for in these prayers before mm-hmm. communion. 
Yeah. Um, like those Thanksgiving prayers where we're thanking him for allowing us to receive without judgment or condemnation or, or asking him to not let it be for our judgment or condemnation and things. So mm-hmm. I like that a lot. Amen. And then this part was, this part was later on a later edition. Oh Lord, I also believe and profess that this which I'm about to receive is truly your most precious body and your life-giving blood, which I pray make me worthy to receive for the remission of all my sins and for life everlasting. Amen. So again, the, the, uh, we were acknowledging as a statement of faith, a creed, if you will, that we, well, we, we truly do believe that this is the body and blood of Christ um, and that, that, that I have been made worthy. You know, Christ has made me worthy, but I actually am worthy to receive. This is the difference between a lot of Protestants and a lot of apostolic Christians. You know, um, uh, many Protestants, um, especially modern ones, will, will, will say that, you know, kind of a misquote of Luther, but um, that 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 there's, you know, I'm 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 horrible, I'm horrible, I'm horrible. But Christ calls me good, even though I'm not. You know, we we in the apostolic Christianity say that that God actually can make me worthy to receive, even though I really I'm never worthy on my own, but uh, but I'm worthy because I am united with Christ, who is worthy, and the two of us mm-hmm. become one. You know, so when I become one with with Christ, I am worthy because I'm in Christ. It's not I'm not separate from Him being called worthy. I'm actually worthy because I'm in Christ, and I am I am growing more and more in His likeness or the image likeness of God. We in the East would say we keep His we keep His image forever, but we lost His likeness. In, in ancestral sin and original sin. So we, we spend our life getting back that likeness and this is one way we do that. So this worthiness is a worthiness in Christ to receive Christ. And then there's a conclusion, O God, be merciful to me, a sinner. O God, cleanse me my sins and have mercy on me. O Lord, forgive me for I have sinned without number. Um, those quotes are from Luke 18, Psalm 50 and the prayer of Manasseh. So, um, yeah, they, they, these again, right before, but right before we touch the Eucharist, the lay people included, right before it touches their lips, um, they are now again acknowledging their sin, acknowledging their their personal unworthiness to receive, while stating that they are worthy in Christ to receive. And again, it's another statement of awe. I, I am personally unworthy to receive this, but in Christ, I am worthy, and therefore I'm going to receive it. But this 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 human acknowledgement before receiving that then, in a sense, prepares us. Any last thoughts on that, guys, before we finish up? No, that's great. Okay. I'm looking forward to the next one. Yeah. So when we next... actually get communion. Exactly. All this has been <laughs> more preparation. And again, that's obviously prayer for the prep to prepare us to receive the Eucharist because we're, mm-hmm. we're preparing our heart even now that the Eucharist is being prepared and then the priest uh, has not yet put the Eucharist into the chalice, which we'll talk about next time. All right, prayer intentions, ladies. Um, oh, you go first. It's your episode. Um, I will ask for prayers for just health. I mean, I, I know, I know people are gathering and we got to be wary in a way of COVID, um, and just groups gathering together. And my dad has Agent Orange. I've tried this before and, uh, from Vietnam. And so just to pray for my dad and for everybody that's going to be gathering with, with family and friends to whatever extent they're doing that. Um, mm-hmm. Again, please be wise, pray about the right thing to do, be safe, of course, but just pray that, that I, I know the numbers are gonna go up and people are, more people are probably gonna die who are more vulnerable, um, but just let's, let's just pray together. Um, when this comes out, we'll be about right about that time where we're realizing you know, how, how gatherings have affected um, the reality of COVID and what that means. 
and also pretty pray for wisdom, wisdom and fearlessness. I mean, there there needs to be all these things. I'm trying to, um, you know, I'm trying to find this 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 political middle ground here. Um, but I I do I do. Uh, somebody says to me um, this past week, they said. Um, Oh well, I'm I'm a rebel. You know, I don't I don't listen to the media on these things. I don't listen to the CDC. I don't listen to the government. And I said, well, yeah, I'm actually doubly a rebel because I don't listen to anybody who thinks they know what they're talking about. You know, <laughs> it's like if if you only believe one side, oh, I'm a rebel because I don't believe this. Well, I don't believe you either. You know, <laughs> how how do you know what what's right? You know, I th- I think we need to be we need to be humble and cautious and not listen to anybody's like I know this is totally true. I don't I don't think you do. Sorry, but you know, where where are you think you're thinking for yourself, but where where you get this information. So yeah, so just pray for all those who, who think they know what they're talking about for all of us who are arrogant <laughs> in other ways and, uh, and that we're all healthy. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Um, I have so a just like, I'm request. sending, I'm forwarding these emails, the angry emails onto you, Father Michael. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not taking care of those. Ones. You can. Um, I am, I have a simple prayer request. Pray for my mama, um, Barbara and, my grandma, Mary, um, my mom's birthday is the day this is coming out, January 6th. Uh, yes. And my grandma's, Mary, was three days ago, January 3rd. And so you can pray for them. Cool. Amen, Natalia. I'd like to pray uh, for my own, uh, put an, out an intention for my own discernment because I'm about to start my last semester of my master's. I'll be graduating and just prayers to uh, know God's will for my next step. Beautiful. I'll be praying for that personally too. That's exciting. Thank you. All right. Let me give a blessing. Lord bless you and keep you. Cause his face to shine upon you. Have mercy on you. May you go forth into this world empowered by God to have the fervor of faith that enlivens the kingdom of God and allows the holy mysteries that are known only through the gift of faith May your faith grow and be enlivened by Christ. May you always be receiving that faith with urgency and with vigor. May you go forth in this world in a way that manifests that faith to others, that it is attractive to those you come across as you become missionaries and prophets for the kingdom of God. May our Lord bless you in this season of light, this season of revelation through the grace, the nativity of our Lord, and also the epiphany and theophany graces that come from these feasts of light, of revelation. May our Lord bless you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Thanks. Love you. Thank you. Love you too. Talk to you in a second. See you soon. (laughs) Bye.